Wake up. Leisha Bell is the founder of BLXVC, an angel syndicate of moms mobilizing money for black and brown women entrepreneurs. She's the deal flow lead for Pipeline Angels, a network of women and femmes. Leisha also advises the PayPal Ventures Black Lives Matter Fund and serves on the board for Black Girl Ventures. For more details, go to www.leishabell.com. Hi, my name is Cassandra White. I am a obstetrician gynecologist. I am a licensed physician and surgeon. I focus on women's health between obstetrics and gynecology. I have had the opportunity to work in many community organizations where we focus on challenging the health disparities that exist. Much of my work has gone beyond clinical medicine into community advocacy. So much of my time has also been working and developing partnerships with many community organizations, either through youth programs or particularly women's health programs. Aside from that, my time continues to focus on where can I bring the most impact in terms of not just my profession, but also as an individual. So I'm looking forward to what the future holds and continuing to work with not only BLX, but also all the entities that are looking to bring value to what our community needs. Hello, and welcome to Sisters with Ventures, the podcast where we amplify Black and Brown women who are angel investors. On this show, we will explore what is angel investing, how to become one, and why would you want to be one? We will discuss how the most marginalized women persevered to the very top of the investing spectrum. Whether you're making money moves or barely making money, listen up. I'm your host, Lee Chabelle, co-founder of BLXVC, an angel syndicate run by Black and Latinx women who are on a mission to represent ourselves and claim our seats on cap tables. Stay tuned. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to have Dr. White. Okay. Yeah, that's who you are? That is me. You earned it. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell the folks a little bit about who you are? Mm. Well, I born and raised right here in the Bay Area. You know, I had a single parent household mm-hmm. um, and really thrived off the sense of community and village to be able to get to where I am now at this point in place. Right. Yeah. So tell me about your money know-how. My money know-how. Where did it start? You know, I think about growing up, we were in a situation where we only knew how to survive. Right. Right. We were trying to go day by day. Mm -hmm. My mother was working every day, ends meet. I had a great grandfather that was big on just saving, Mm. but never really understood what it meant to thrive and create wealth, I think. Mm. And so, 
he would always have this phrase, a penny makes a nickel, a nickel makes a dime, a dime makes a quarter and goes beyond. So he'd always mm-hmm. save, save your money. He was one to bury his money in the backyard, um, <laughs> which was something that we thought about whenever you get some sort of money, either from birthdays or Christmas presents, save your money. I think about a time when I was growing up when my mother didn't have daycare. Mm-hmm. She did have a boyfriend that worked mm-hmm. for the Oakland airport. What he would have me, well, what she would do is have me go with him to work. Mm-hmm. And I was maybe about seven years old. Yeah. And I could not stand it because there was no kids. There wasn't anything <laughs> for me to do. So what I had to look at was how do I take what I have around me and mm-hmm. make it work for me? Right. And I think that's just being in the type of environment and space where you didn't have much, but you use what you did have. And so those moments that I think about what I was creating in terms of some sense of money sense was how can I capitalize on being at this Oakland airport? So at seven years old, I started noticing that travelers were going to the cart station and the cart Mm -hmm. station is where they would rent the carts for 75 cents. And it was a way that they could put all their luggage on the okay. cart and take the cart to okay, the car. Yeah. So what I would do is I would approach the travelers and say, hey, can I help you push the cart to your car? And how could they say no? <laughs> so I would help them push the cart to their car. But I knew that once they were finished with the cart, they didn't want to go back into the Oakland airport to return the cart. Oh. So that's where I came in and I said, well, I'll take it back for you. And just because they thought I was being a good kid and a nice gesture, yeah. sometimes they would tip me. Yeah. <laughs> but the other focus was I wanted to get back that 25 cents a return for each cart. Oh. So it worked out well. So this particular time where I began to think about how can I make things work for myself? How can I find a solution to a problem? Mm-hmm. But I also was making money at seven right. years old. Right. So, so that's something I think even today mm-hmm. that I carry with me in terms of decision making and where problem solving can be beneficial for all of us. Right, right. Don't discount those starter roles. No. I mean, my dad owned a gas station, and when I was like seven, eight, I was a cashier. Wow. And I was, we didn't have no calculators and, you know, I was counting money back. There you go. There you, you know? go. I mean, you know, customer service, being able to count money mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. a skill set. It is. It is. a lot of people right. still trying to learn how to do. And when it comes to money, food, and health, people don't play with that. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about your profession, mm-hmm. you know? How did you know you wanted to be a medical doctor? Yeah, it came from, and again, growing up with this sense of curiosity Mm -hmm. and asking questions, you know, wondering why there were people in places that had and those that did not have. Mm. Then I also think about the experiences with seeing how my grandmother was treated when she went to the hospital. Mm the care that she did not receive, mm-hmm. the frustration, right? the conversations that mm-hmm. took place when we would come home. That made me question how is the system working and not working? And that was most likely the initial mm-hmm. desire to become a physician. As far as going into women's health, that again had to do with the thought of 
why am I seeing teenage pregnancy? Why is my best friend with two kids in high school? You know, what is the reasoning for that? Is there some sense of where there's a lacking of education in mm. our bodies that we may not have been given? So mm. that opened my eyes to the direction of working into women's health and becoming an OBGYN. And yeah, that's a big part of why I do what I do is education. Right, mm -hmm. right. And then talk about, so you went to UC Davis. Yes. Aggie's in the house. Yeah, Aggie's. Mm -hmm. Right here. Yep, yep. It was close, close to the bay, <laughs> but very different. Yeah, you had a non-HBCU experience. No. We call it totally. PWI. <laughs> Predominantly white institution. Yes, that is exactly what it was. The 2% that existed at UC Davis that held many challenges, yeah. but also was a subset of what most of this environment looks like. Right. Especially right. if we're thinking investments and things of that sort, medicine of that mm. sort, where's that representation? So that was the first challenges of education that I experienced. So let's talk about your journey to angel investing. Did you know about it? How'd you find out about it? Nobody told you nothing? Nothing. Had, <laughs> had no idea. Angel, no. You would notice, how is this person driving that nice car? Or how are these people wearing these nice clothes? Mm. So again, asking those questions, like, what do you do? Yeah, right. I think there's a show out there where there's this guy that goes up to different people who are driving these nice cars and he asks them, what do you do for a living? So I was that little kid. And it wasn't so much about materialistics, but just understanding the economics, how those, again, the haves, have nots in that sense. So once I finished residency, I began looking into different opportunities to take part in different companies. And it was more focused on there were things that I liked and I thought that were great concepts. Mm -hmm. Did I know there was a term for it? No, absolutely not. But again, it was just my chance to be a part of something that I thought was really a great idea or a mm -hmm. great company that could show potential growth. So knowing the terms, the terminology, absolutely had no idea. But it was something I had been doing at least after residency. So how do you spot out a good company for investment? I typically pay attention to what I call the I's, as in the letter I's. Mm -hmm. So I look at what is the intent? I, what is the intent? What is the goal of the company? I look at the inclusivity. Mm -hmm. So what is the makeup of the work, the workforce? What is the makeup of the board? The other is the impact. So how does it affect those in our community? How does it affect mm -hmm. the service? How does it affect the market? And then obviously as an investor, you think about what is the investing piece? What is the ultimate mm -hmm. return? What is the incentive that it gets? So those are ideally the questions that I ask myself and then ask of the organization or the company. And a lot of times they don't have all those pieces like they're may not in line with a social impact but they may provide great services to some type of niche or whatnot right right but those are ideally things that i pay attention to yeah, i love that concept the eyes the eyes the better <laughs> eyes it's my little thing i like it <laughs> so tell me about your investments 
So one of them that I really have taken great interest with and which is the reason why I decided to become an investor. It was a company called Bridge to College. A friend of mine who I went to high school with, she was born and raised here in the Bay Area. She's an educator. Decided to create this algorithm that helps students match to a college institution, but match on the lines that are geared to making sure that school is affordable Mm. and also looking at making sure that they have an environment that's supportive of their needs, and which are important because that leads to retention. They're mm. more than likely to go ahead and finish college and get their degrees as opposed to just either staying longer or dropping out. So she created Bridge to College to really focus on that and using technology to do that. So working with schools and universities is where her focus is, at least with the company. So using technology and education hand in hand. I love it. Well, let's talk about that connection because a lot of angel investing is done in network, right? True, true. So you've known her since high school. Yes, yes. (laughs) You know what she's capable of. You know know her work ethic, exactly. So it's probably easier for you to write a check. It was, but it's still, for me, I always know that personal versus business, that those are two separate entities. And for me, I love to keep it separate. But yes, knowing her work ethic, it still took some time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't automatic. Right. It still took some discussions, some phone calls uh, to really find out how she was continuing to make Bridge to College strong and mm-hmm. what her ultimate goal was. And so there were many meetings. You asked the questions, all the I questions. All the I questions, all the I questions. <laughs> Did your due diligence. And that was it, you know, and it met all those eyes. Right. In terms of inclusivity, mm-hmm. impact, mm-hmm. what her intent was, and then the investment piece, obviously the return on investment. So all those were laid out. And plus, I mean, who, like education, right? This right. is what's key. And even for me growing up and for her also, you know, we didn't have control of our environment, Mm -hmm. but we subsequently had control of our education. And for both her and I, we did not go to HBCUs. So we went to colleges that we were the 2%. So being the 2% in these non-HBCU colleges were some challenges. And those were some of the things that we shared in discussing before the actual investment was made was that I wish we had this type of tool for when we were looking for colleges to go to. It could have saved us money. It could have saved us time. Right. Well, a lot of people ask me, you know, my cousin and them. And them. And them. (laughs) Starting something. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) You know, people hear you writing checks. Everybody come calling. Yeah, no, we don't. Yeah. yeah, we don't just go for the okie doke like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's criteria. There yeah. is. Every business is not a venture. And it's totally right. fine to be yeah. a small business. Absolutely. A mom and pop. Absolutely. There's many types of businesses that exist. Absolutely. You know, and one thing, particularly with black women, is that when black women start going this route into venture capital, they end up with less than 5% equity in their companies. Right? It gets so, diluted. It gets diluted. So, right, right. Explain the process of dilution. Oh, wow. Yes. So, I'm sure there's a medical term, but in an investing term. 
So I do a lot of community advocacy mm-hmm. work and I work, you know, not only the clinical work, but also working with many community partnerships and seeing the strength in each of the organizations. So I've always felt like there is strength in numbers, but you have to be on the same page. Like, right. what is that common goal? Because otherwise, then what happens is you end up diluting your strength. Mm. And so let's now take it to investments that if you start having too many come right. in, right, and you really don't have a strong plan in place in terms of right. or organization, transparency, making things very clear and looking at your numbers, then you can find yourself not holding or not having much ownership within the company that you created. Right. And the detriment is that when Black founders have an exit and acquisition, they still got to go to work the next day. Absolutely. <laughs> right? You know, like, oh, I'm a billionaire, millionaire. I'm just going to be an angel investor now. VC. No. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I got to get a new job. I mean, that paid a car note. Right. And still in the same position. Exactly. And this is why what you've been able to create mm-hmm. is so strong and valuable because it's transformative but transformative in a positive light, and then also brings value to the venture capitalist space. I still also, I'm still learning. Like I said, we didn't know what angel investor terminology was. I didn't know what VC was. I just was knowing that there was just plenty of money going into spaces that wasn't ours. Right. 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 Or that we were... I would say non-financially investing in companies that weren't investing in us. We were helping people build their companies without equity. In (laughs) return. Right. And this is 40 acres and a mule. We said you'll get something. We didn't get it. it. We didn't make it. And we can't build. I mean, it's debilitating. It is. It is. And tomorrow is what the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa race Mm. massacre. Right. So as we're having this conversation, you know, I'm thinking about how things have been structured in a way that it's left us in so many, and I say us in terms of the Black community, no choice, but to create on our own, to build these funds, to build these communities where you're building generational wealth and whatnot. And so that actually just made me think of the fact that we're embarking on that anniversary tomorrow. My family is from Oklahoma. And, um, you know, it's interesting. We're still doing the research, but essentially my grandfather had a tinted land that he grew cotton on, right? So you think about, like, land ownership is simply mm-hmm. the number mm-hmm. one way to start to build wealth and create generational wealth. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some Black families were able to salvage, right, that went on to live on. But we think about so much that we lost. Exactly. Because it's hard for us to come back. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about this time of covid Right, time of social unrest. We've lost half of our small businesses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gone. Mm-hmm. Wiped out. Mm-hmm. And the ability to... We don't have savings. <laughs> right? We're the first ones laid off, fired, out the door. Just um, trying to survive. Just trying to survive. Just trying to survive. I mean, you talked about, like, hustle mode. Yeah. What is hustle mode? Right. And again, it's, what do I have in front of me? Mm-hmm. What do I have to work with? I can't stop. Mm-hmm. I have to keep going. And there's maybe motivation in that, whether you have children, whether you're taking care of family members, you know, you got to eat. You decide, okay, let me be strategic. I always heard 
Cassandra, you have to be strategic in your decision-making and your plan. I'm like, what does strategy, what does that mean? But it's literally just laying out your business plan. Okay, what do I have right now with me in order to create? Who do I have around me? How can I make this work? When can I do it? Like, those are the things that I think about in terms of hustle mode. And that's been medicine also. Mm. You know, in terms of becoming a physician, I'm the first and only in my family. I didn't have anyone to ask. A college was hard enough. Right. Being, what, 2%? And then let alone going into profession where, again, if you think of the statistics, where mm. there's 5% of all the active physicians currently, only 5% are Black, only mm. 2% are black women, and then even less than that are surgeons, which is where I stand. So what questions do I even ask? You know, how do I get into medical school? So that journey even was long. So for some, we're not at the same equal starting points. Right, right. Right. So it's taking us longer. It's costing us more. You know, and it's not just from a monetary standpoint, but Mm. also we think of it from our health, Mm. the stressors. Of that. So can't imagine, right, what your ancestors went through. Mine as well. I have family in Tulsa. So I'm sure there's some legacy that exists there and how the family ended up coming to here in the Bay Area. Right. So, you know, but what did that do to their overall health as well? Right. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, though, to talk about the Great Migration Mm less because... African-Americans a lot came from the South. And so you have this contingent out here in California, like how they get here. And so my grandfather worked on the railroads that connected the South to the West Mm -hmm. and was able to secure some land in Louisiana. And so I always reference that like building, Mm -hmm. like the connections, Mm -hmm. you know, like our migration story, Mm -hmm. because... We have many migrations right. <laughs> that we're, you know, this American story, this uh-huh. motherland story, uh-huh. ancestral, and like, how do we show up here and how do we exist? How do we exist? Right. And I think that is what, you know, as we get into our professions, mm-hmm. being the onlys, how do we exist? Mm. And still maintaining ourselves. Right. Right. So this is a great segue to one of my deals I'm very proud of mm-hmm. with BLXVC called Health in Her Hue mm-hmm. by Ashley and Edwina. And it's essentially about tackling the major problem that healthcare fails Black women. Can you talk about why this deal was important to you? So when I think about Health in Her Hue and going back to the eyes, mm-hmm. where is the impact? And so I'll go into, again, how I mentioned statistics and representation. We, of all the active physicians, there's only 5% Black mm-hmm. in the United States. If you break that down into the physicians that represent Black women, only 2%. Mm. And then for me, where I fall in is because I am a surgeon, it's even less than that, less mm. than 1%. So if you think about... Most places aren't the Atlantas. Most places aren't the Houstons, right? If you think about places, I'll even say like Sacramento County, you'll find physician deserts where Mm. black physician deserts where you're not finding black physicians in certain medical departments. 
And I'll specifically say, let's gear it towards obstetrics and gynecology and women's health. Mm. Right now, we currently have, and I think what's happened this past year, again, there's been a sense of transparency where people are now much more aware of some of the issues that are creating the disparities that we see. So like maternity mortality. So Mm -hmm. women that are dying at childbirth or having high morbidity rates. There's some value in looking at how important it is for physician and patient congruency, right? Does my provider, does my physician look like me? Am I able to come to my provider in an open, safe space without feeling judgment? Mm. Right. Right. And if I'm in places where I feel uncomfortable, and yes, you do have to know your history, right? We have to know that there is a huge level of mistrust within the medical system. And that's not because of our fault. That's because that there have been times where many times that our community has not been taken care of when Mm. they should have been or misused in some way. And that carries generations to generations. So if we're looking to build a better healthcare system, then there's value in recruiting and retention of diverse workforces. So when we look at health in our hue, what that does is it bridges that gap that exists. It allows for patients to be able to identify a provider through a directory system where they can seek the medical care that they need. You know, health and hue is just not for physicians, but it's also other aspects of health that are important. Social workers, mental health workers. So that's why health and hue was, I believe, very important in terms of the impact as well. So I'm going to share a testimony from a friend who was not even your patient but came seeking medical treatment for a problem she was having. And I think you were just creeping around. It's like, here's a black woman, you know, hmm. I need to check in. And you were like, mm, sis, let's do another look. Let's do another take. I uh-huh. think maybe you should do this. And like, you literally saved this woman's life. And I think about just your being there or being around, right? Mm. Like, and not saying not my problem. It's like, mm. okay, here's a black woman. <laughs> I need to do a double check-in. And the Black women mm. who are needing help, right, who may not be able to articulate that, right, and somebody may not be listening to their experience right. and their story, right. right, and then they see someone looks like you. It's like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Will you listen to me? I think I can get your ear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's it, listening. And how much more that that relationship can build onto where they're able to be free to come back to their visits, follow treatment plans. Mm. And, you know, I am first a black woman before I'm in physician. Mm. So I, too, have had to find myself advocating for myself because I do know how the system works because mm. I you know, work on the inside that I'm able to advocate in a way where I know it will apply pressure to either an individual or a system when I need the care that I need or for a family member. So there comes value in having like health in our hue, which is also a networking space. So if you know that there are physicians in this particular area, then this physician can contact this other physician. I have a family member who's at this hospital. I know you work here. Are you able to do it? So that is great to have that. And I'm hoping that it continues to build 
in its networking space, but also for organizations to take note that there are companies that are like Health and Her Hue that are starting to take on to the solutions right. that they need to pay attention to. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love so much about entrepreneurship, mm. right? These are two black women who aren't positioned. They're like, the system is broken and we know it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Personally, mm-hmm. everybody in that circle say the same thing. I'm hearing thing. it, right? <laughs> right? Right. How do we tackle this issue? And so I think that's the beauty of us solving our own problems, mm-hmm. right? Instead of, you know, Calvary's not coming for you. Yeah, this is what we need. <laughs> this is what we this need. This is what we need. So I love your story there. So Cassandra. Yes, ma'am. You are an amazing woman. You've come a long, mighty long way. Mm. Mighty long way. Mm. Still going. You're from these streets, these mean streets. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Went on to get your education. Went on to graduate school. Went on to years and years of residency. You know, <laughs> Took a lot. Took a lot to get to where you are today. Yes, ma'am. And we are all proud of you. Thank you. But reflecting back on like your journey, what would you say to your younger self? I probably would say, don't be so hard on yourself. Don't put the pressure to do everything. Continue to be curious. Continue to ask questions. I think the thing that I still even continue to learn and talk to myself about is making sure that I don't get discouraged, right? Because you can, you can. Because you also know that when you go into spaces where you may be the only, right, that you already come with a sense that I have to present myself in a certain way, right? That I have to tone it down, right? That I have to Maybe I can't drop one of those curse words or, you know, <laughs> right. what but like it's already some sense of pressure that I feel like you can absolutely retract on, that it doesn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. I think when you really are able and recognize that if there are places where you are feeling not supported and you're not being heard and you're not being valued, then know that, you know what? That's not the right place. It's not about you, but it just knows that this is just not the right place Mm. for you. And that's okay. And it's absolutely okay. And you're going to be all right. And you're going to be all right. I don't know if we're cursing on here, but my grandmother used to say, you can go from sugar to shit real quick. (laughs) But sometimes when you've been in those places Mm. where you didn't have, but you have to think about all those wins. And sometimes we always think about the harder times, the failures. Right. And we tend to forget that there's just so many wins, even in how small that they are, that there are those wins that we have to remember. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And how do you like reset? Like I think about you as like a frontline worker. (laughs) I'm dealing with levels of trauma, of emergency, life-saving. Like how do you reset How do I reset? You know, I'm still very much grounded in my community, Mm. in my family. Yeah. They also keep me very grounded. I'm not Dr. White. Right. (laughs) I love that. I love that. There was a point where I couldn't wait to hear that word. But then there are times where I really want to just be in that space of 
who has known me, mm. who has seen the failures, because right. there are those. Exactly. You know? And so that's absolutely what keeps me in that good space. And being here, like having mm. chances like this to talk to you, mm. the times that we get to not just talk business, but right. also as family right. centered, <laughs> girl <laughs> going talk. out, girl talk, <laughs> you know, you thrive, you thrive on that yeah. radical self-care, which is what it is, Yeah, where you really get the most out of those around you. And if there's any negativity, that's when you also learn along the way that you keep those away from you. Listen to your gut. Listen to yourself. Right. Trust in how you feel. Right. Something feels good, you stay with it. Something doesn't feel good, you walk away. And that's what keeps you motivated, re-inspired. Every day. Every, Every day. day. Every day is a new day, new challenge. Even with patients, taking care of patients, not one patient is the same. Mm-hmm. Not one situation is the same. And I think that's just what makes us unique and special. There's only one of us. Right. Yeah. There's only one of us. True. You are uniquely you. Yeah. (laughs) And with you doing everything you're doing with BLX. Yes. Yes. I mean, this is transformative. Yes. Well, I want to thank you. Thank you. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show. Please subscribe, tell a friend, check us out, let the world know. You can find out more information about this podcast at LeeshaBell.com. And remember, be an angel, invest. Invest.